Josh Thompson, how was your flight back from Bridgeport, Connecticut? I just want to tell you, it was probably one of the worst experiences <laughs> I have ever had in my entire life. Why was that? I got stuck in, I, I landed in LAX at like 10.30. My flight was supposed to be at 11, like 15. I was like, perfect timing, great. I'll get there, I'll get on the flight, head home. I'll be home by like noon, one o'clock, whatever it is. I'd be home by like one, one o'clock at the latest, 1.30. I, my flight was delayed till 1.30. I was like, all right, this sucks, but it could be worse. 115 hits, they cancel my flight. <laughs> then then they put me on another flight at 3 o'clock, and I'm like, all right, 3 o'clock's not bad. I've already been here forever. Whatever, 3 o'clock, we'll, we'll do it. The 3 o'clock flight gets canceled also. Oh. I didn't actually get on a flight until 5.30. Didn't get home until, and then, no, this is the best part. I get on the flight, get home. I land at 5, like uh, 6.15, 6.20. I land in, and then I'm stuck because there's a plane at the gate we're supposed to pull into in San Jose. There's a plane at the gate for another 30 minutes. I'm just sitting on the plane. Oh, uh, dude. Know the story well, man. Been oh. there too many times. <laughs> I, I, just, I just was I was like ready just to get home. And the worst part was, right, as, as I was just telling you, my I had left the hotel at 3 a.m. You know, so I left the hotel at 3 a.m. because my flight was at 520. Then I, yeah. I get to the I get to the airport. The shitty, the crappy part was they're like, "Hey, so your 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 car's taking you to the airport at three a.m." All right, cool. Of course, I get in the car. There's no traffic. I'm at the yeah. airport by three forty-five, and I'm just sitting there because my flight's not till five thirty or something like that. And I'm yeah. like, uh. that was the same as mine. So I got to the airport early, and then I get home five six hours later than I'm supposed to. It it sucked. It's probably one of the worst travel days I ever had. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I hate that. It's happened too many times, but especially when you you get to where you're at, mm -hmm. and then they say, "We're sorry, we're gonna have to sit on the tarmac here yeah. for 45 minutes because there's no open gates." And it's like, yeah, yeah I just want to sit here for 45 yeah. more damn minutes in this mini seat. Yep. <laughs> and, and the funniest. What are you gonna do? The funniest. The worst part is, is like when I la when we landed in San Jose. Of course, at that time, you're sitting on the tarmac and you're waiting for the the, the plane to move out of your gate. And you have to go to the bathroom. And you're just like, and they're like, everyone, please remain seated. Please stay in your seatbelt. I'm like, I have to go to the bathroom. I don't even know if the planes dump still. Like, if they still dump, you know, when you go to the bathroom there. Like, do they still dump if they're sitting on the tarmac? Or does it just dump it? Does it just dump it on the tarmac for nah, you? There's a holy tank. Oh, you, just think of Goldberg. Goldberg can't hold it for 15 oh, man. minutes, man. That, so. It's so crazy. <laughs> crazy. Huh. Uh, All right, my man. Well, let's get it wrapping. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so let's do it. We're, we're, we'll do a quick little summary of uh, Bellator from this last weekend. I mean, outside of all 14 fights, none of them going the distance. That was an amazing night of fights. Come on, 14 finishes, seven submissions, seven knockouts. I mean, you couldn't ask nope. for a better night as far as the, the fighters putting on some incredible performances. Yep. The fastest submission in, I think, I, it may be Bellator history, I know. Mm. That might that may be the fastest submission in MMA history. Mm. You just don't get I know it's the fastest leg lock yeah. in the history of the sport. Wow. You know, even Imanari himself never got one that fast. That's impressive. That was Oh, man. That was very, uh, Aviv uh, Gonzalez got it. Very nice. Yep. Very nice. Imanari roll came out. Bell rang. He came out. Ran across and just rolled right for the Imanari roll, right into the leg lock. The guy ended up going to his back, so he actually had to try to hit the heel hook from the top position. 
wasn't able to get it, kind of made the readjustment, you know, while they were in the neutral, basically almost like the 50-50 position. Yeah. Great Did job. Did a nice job pushing that arm off with yeah. his foot. Yeah. Everything. The best part is, you know, if you watch it, and I went back and watched, you know, his opponent jumps up with his right leg, and he's he's heading towards it, and he just switches it right to that left, yeah. brings him down, adjusts the whole thing. Just a beautiful, beautiful as far as a young fighter going after it. That's what I loved. Because look at he's taking a risk, he's taking a big chance, yeah. you know, and he does it, and it it pays off. It's fantastic. Eighteen years old, fastest submission in Bellator history. That's not a bad start. Talk about a talk about a confidence booster. Talk, oh, that's insane. Things are going things are going well for that young man. Three fights, three first round submissions, one the record setter. Yeah, that that's that's impressive. There was that, and then like I mean, I have to bring it up. I have to bring it up to you because I brought it up the night. But I, to me. The kid has all the talent in the world, Mike Kimball. What's going through yeah. your, what's going through your mind when you see a performance like that? He had a dominant first round performance, but the last twenty seconds, he makes a brain fart, gets finished. Uh, you know, in, in my opinion, Mike Kimball is super athletic. He knows he's faster than everybody he's fighting. He knows he's a better athlete, and he tries to get rid of everyone as fast as he can. And he's got to learn. Look, the farther you go in this sport, those fast finishes just don't come around very often. You have got to figure out. You've got 15 minutes or 25 minutes, if you're going for a title, you got 15 minutes usually to finish a fight. Don't try to get it done. He is throwing such heat with every shot he's throwing. He's gassing himself out. He's a fast-twitch, muscle-fiber athlete. And you're going to get tired throwing those big shots. And he got tired. Yeah. You know, and when he couldn't put his opponent away, then all of a sudden, all those doubts and all those things start crashing in on you. And things went downhill very fast for him. Now, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I just feel like that's, that has something to do with there's a couple of things to me. And, and I don't want to blame the coaches because he's only been there for one camp. But I blame, yeah. I blame the coaches a little bit. Okay, I'm telling him how to slow down, slow down, young man, slow down, kid. Like you're, he was winning the round, he was winning the round convincingly. So there were yeah, but you gotta you gotta admit it's tough when you're the coach in that situation because you haven't been with a fighter very yeah. long and you have not been with him in actual competition. You've only been with them in the practice area, so a little bit different for them. I do want, and that's why I'm not putting all the blame on on the yeah. coaches, but I am going to put some of the blame on the coaches because you should be yelling out, "Hey, you're you're winning the exchanges, okay? Slow it down, pace yourself, relax, pace, relax, pace yourself." Like yeah. exactly what Aaron Rodgers says, R E L A X, okay? Relax. <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah. Um, to me, a little bit on the coaches, uh, but then on top of that. I don't just look at the coaches. I also look at him. He has to understand how the scoring, that becomes a fighter IQ thing. You have to understand how the scoring goes. Okay. I've obviously landed the better shots. I'm obviously doing more damage than he is. I've, I think, believe he dropped him. You know, he had him rocked a couple times. Like, I feel like he had the opportunity to just, okay, look, with 20 seconds left, let's just dial it back a little bit. Okay. I'll get the round, get my breath in between rounds, come back out, probably put him away in the second. But he didn't yeah. do that. He didn't do that. And I talked about fighter IQ and how important it is. You could be the most educated as far as talent-wise. You could be the most talented, the most athletic. You could be all those things. But if you're not educated in the cage, okay, and you don't have a fighter IQ, and you're not trying to develop one, you're just trying to live off your athleticism, okay, you're not, you're not going to get very far in this sport. Oh, you, well, you're you're 100% right in what you're saying. And and, and when you said it that, that night, it's the right thing. But 
He's a young kid, man. Yeah. He's 20. He's 23 years old. I want you to go back and put yourself with the knowledge you had when you were 23 and you can run through everyone because you're fast and you're and you're strong and you can do this. It just doesn't happen. You've got to learn those things. And this is what hopefully, you know, I always go by, hey, if you, if you don't win, you learn. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a loss on your record. But if you learn from that loss, you can make it work for you. And that's what he needs to do is go back, go back with his coaches, look and see exactly where he's making these big errors, where he's expending energy when he doesn't have to, and slow it down and realize I have a lot of time to win this fight. So what I'm going to do for the what I want us to do is is uh, let's pick one fight that really impressed you the most and what fight you think um, was the most dominant performance or the one that the one that you want to talk about the most. Ah, uh, you know, if I'm going to talk about a dominant performance, I'm going to go with. Uh, there's so many that were in the in the night, and I want to give a shout out. Hamasi was beautiful with his one punch win. Actually, uh, I thought Austin Vanderford was great, but if you're going to look at the one, look at Tyrell Fortune. He's the future. Tyrell Fortune is going to be something special. And, and we talked to him before, and he basically laid out to us, hey, you know, I'm not going to try to finish this in the first round. I want to go out there. I want to relax. I want to get the movement down. I want him to throw those big, heavy shots at me. I want him to get winded, and I want him to reach the second round, which he has never done before because I think it's going to get to him up here, and then I'm going to start turning it on. And I'm going to put it on him. And, man, he did everything. And he even said, I think I'm going to submit him, which, you know, most of the time he's going after punches and, and he likes the stand-up. So everything he said, he did. And when you can do that, I'm impressed by your actions. Tyrell Fortune is going to be something special. Yeah, I think he did. He answered a lot of the questions that he needed to answer because a lot of the critics were talking about, not just critics, but just I think just amongst the people, the fans of Bellator, they were they're they were having a hard time saying like, look, sure he's talented, he's got all these skills, but he doesn't finish people. And for him to yep. go out there and finally get a finish and do it in dominant performance, he was had some beautiful inside leg kicks. I, I thought honestly, I thought he fought a really smart fight. He took him and drug him into the second round, and once that happened, you could just see that the, the power level, like on a video game, of Rudy was going off. He started <laughs> yeah, going exactly. down, and just it, well, he wasn't the same fighter. Now he had a couple good takedown defenses in the first round, and uh, had he was able to throw some good some good punches but he's a guy that throws so hard and so fast yep. all the time you there's it's hard to keep your energy level at the max a little like reminds me a little bit of kimball you know it's hard to throw that you can't throw that the whole time you can't throw heat all the time and i think that's what makes guys like nick nick diaz and Nate Diaz so good is that they don't throw it all the time they they, nope. they touch 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 and then boom 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 next you know you're looking at the lights counting counting the ceiling you know seeing how many lights are up there um to me, so which one? Which one do you? Let me hear it. So to me, my honest thing is um, Karatanov and Matt Mitrione. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that was another one for me. Yeah, I mean, for I am impressed with Sergey Karatanov and how he has made a recovery and the way he is fighting his style of fight. Yep. No, everything. Everything. I think he's doing everything right right now. He has some good. Um, he he just basically he he knew, understood that he probably wasn't as fast as Matt Mitrione. But I also think a little bit of what happened in Matt Mitrione was two things. The mouthpiece threw him off. It bothered him. It upset him. Um, yep. There was no fix in the corner uh, between rounds. Matt was yelling at his corner, uh, go get me my other mouthpiece. So when the round ended, he could get his other mouthpiece. And he said, and the corner told him, who just so happens to be the same corner for, for Kimball. 
was <laughs> don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Stay in the fight. And we under I understand that. But when you're having a problem with the mouthpiece and all you have to do is just run back to the back, have one of the corners, run back to the back, grab the mouthpiece, come back out. I, I, I get that part of it all. I understand. But you have to understand it's also taking the energy out of your fighter because he's stressing. If it comes out again, I'm going to lose a point. Okay, I potentially already lost the first round because my mouthpiece came out three times and it just looks bad to the judges. So he probably already lost the first round. He potentially is going to get a point taken around the second if his mouthpiece comes out again. Now he's down three rounds, basically can't win the fight unless he knocks him out. All those things are playing into your mind. And at the same time, Karatanov is fighting a very smart fight, a very educated fight. He's letting Matt gain the ground, but then hitting him to the body and making him think about the body shots and then coming back over to the top. I thought he fought probably one of the smartest fights I've seen Karatanov fight in his whole career. I've seen him fight, I don't know how many, multiple, multiple times. And I thought he fought an amazing fight. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I, I thought Matt was doing exactly what he needed to do in the beginning because I do think you have to back... Sergey Karatanov up. You got to make him start to go backwards because his offense just diminishes probably by a third just by his backward movement. So you're taking away one third of his offense just by making him go backwards. That's a smart plan. And that's what Matt was doing. But as soon as things just didn't start going right and that mouthpiece started coming out, like you're saying, it was a distraction. Mm -hmm. It took his his mind and just made it focus instead of on a man in front of him that's a big strong vanilla gorilla in front of him trying to take his head off it started to go towards biting down on the mouthpiece hit that made him feel tense all these things are now running through his head and he just lost the concentration in the fight that you have to have and it went downhill from there but you know they that's not Sergey Karatanov's problem and he landed the shot that we both talked about, that uppercut that he lands. Mm -hmm. It's vicious. And, man, he landed it, quick knee, and he puts him out. And that's, that puts Karatanov in a very good position with the Bellator heavyweights. Yeah. He's right there for a title shot. Yeah. After that huge knockout from Javi Ayala when he first came to Bellator, he's starting to run through everybody. Yeah, I think I think he regrouped after that and just said I got to get refocused and do something about his career. And I think I think he did a great job of coming back and <clears throat> and um, making the adjustments. The, the one thing I'll say when we talked to Matt Mitrione, though, the one thing I'll say about Matt Mitrione, I think a little bit of the game plan that worked against him for the um, was the Roy Nelson fight because he came into this fight saying he didn't want to give up as much ground as he did in the Roy Nelson fight because he got tired and got winded. I feel like in this scenario when he backed up. Karatanov, he tried to push the pace too much and push him backwards, which I thought we thought was a good idea for him to try to get him move backwards. But when it yeah. when you when he wasn't when he wasn't moving backwards, he should have should have probably gave that ground a little bit more, stuck and move because of the speed and the length and the range was in, was in his favor. But he didn't. He still kind of tried to keep pushing into Karatanov's area. And to me, in that in that short range, Karatanov always had the advantage. The, yeah, from the body well, shots, it, the head kick, or not head kicks, but the body shots, the knees, and the clinch area, he always had the advantage. And I felt like Matt needed to go ahead and circle back out, create more angles, and then throw. But Yeah, Matt needs to be in that kickboxing range. Yep. And he, he, he was in the beginning of the fight. Mm. And then quickly it started to dwindle down to boxing range which is exactly what Sergey lives in. Yep. That is his area. That's where he's best, and that's when the fight started to have some problems for Matt. I agree 100%. Um, uh, what, what, what else? I, mean, you know what, I want to talk to you about what do you think about 
the 13 fighters at UFC 241, which was in California, and you know mm-hmm. you've been in Cal- you know California for your basically your whole career. Mm-hmm. You did a lot of your fights there. You you've been with the California State Athletic Commission as an athlete, and you actually went down and were part of a weight cutting summit that they had to talk about what you as an athlete would expect and what's right for you and they came up with a program and that program is you know they're going to tell fighters that are uh, putting too much weight on cutting too much weight however you want to look at it they're going to be telling them, hey you have to move up in a weight class if you want to be licensed here in california yeah. again and it's also that they had a, a whole thing that they're now going to bring in it's not 10% because they were talking about that 10% being the marker. It's 15%. If you gain more than 15%, they're actually thinking of nixing or taking away your fight. You are not going to be allowed. You step on that scale and you're at a 15% over what you weighed in at. They're going to take the fight away from you. I have a, I have a, I have you're a, not going to be able to fight. I have a question. Yeah. Why the heck are you asking me this? Because I needed to ask you this. This is <laughs> I need to ask you this. Um, look, I was there that day, and I was actually one of the guys that suggested that I, I didn't go by percentages. What I said was that you cannot exceed the weight class above you. So whatever yeah. you weigh in at, you cannot exceed that next weight class. So um, because once you hit for, and that's easier for me to say that because from one fifty five to one seventy is fifteen pounds. Now all like the one twenty five to one thirty five, thirty five to forty. That's only 10 pounds. So to me, that's a little bit harder for them because, you know, they they only get 10 pounds where the rest of the guys get 15. You go beyond 170, it's, you know, 15 pound increments. So for me, it was like, okay, look, I normally don't weigh over 170 anyways. And if I even if I did have to cut weight the day of the fight, it'd be like a pound, you know, so I I wasn't too concerned about that. Um, But that was my suggestion was. That then what do you do? If you're over a pound, every pound you're over, you take a percentage of the purse until it exceeds like another five pounds. Once it hits five pounds over, then you basically say you can't fight. I, I think that's kind of the mentality of what they're doing because when you get when you're talking percentages, you're like talk, you're like speaking Chinese to me. Okay, so I have no idea what you're talking about when we're talking percentages because each <laughs> yeah each weight class each weight class is a little bit different, and then you know. Look, everybody's body is different. It's hard to make these type of these type of adjustments. Um, some people can cut more. Some people are used to cutting more. Some people don't cut a lot. Uh, it depends. It really depends. But I do like the idea of not having the person exceed the weight class above. And then that also, to me, I feel like puts pressure on the UFC, and not just UFC, but even Bellator, to make weight classes every 10 pounds. So then people can fight guys that are within that range of like everyone's equal. Like if I'm fighting a guy at 55, I fight a guy at 65. If I fight a guy at 65, I fight a guy at 75. Everyone's equally in an equal playing field. No one has to cut more. Now where it gets hairy though is when you get to 185 because there's not enough good guys from 85 to 205 as we've seen the the market's kind of watered down. Then 205 to heavyweight is just ridiculous. Like you can't get rid of that. Like there's there's really, there's like four or five good heavyweights all in the world. You got DC, you got Stipe, Ningano, you've got Karatanov, you've got, you know, uh, you've got Minikoff you've got you got like our guys you know what I mean so like you've got three or four of our guys and you've got you know three or four of the UFC guys and the rest of them kind of are just getting older and just not fighting at the level that they used to fight and I'm just being honest you know I'm yeah. sure I'm going to get a lot of flack for that but let's, yes you are yes it's okay and I'm okay with that <laughs> and I'm okay with that you know though but the, the thing about it is this I one of the things I think you're seeing change for MMA is fighters are now starting to stop the ridiculous cutting of weight 
that they've been doing in the past. I mean, you can take a look at just the show that we just did with Bellator. Look, at, you know, Austin Vanderford went from being 170 to 185 pounder. Look at how look at how good he did. Everybody that's going up, and we've talked about this before. Speed is the problem when you're losing all that weight and you're going into the lower weight class. Those guys are faster. That's usually going to cause a problem for you. It's not being the bigger, stronger guy. Now you're the slower guy, and you're getting hit, and you can't respond. So you're seeing a lot of people stopping this massive weight cut and just being reasonable with it, being a guy that walks around at 195 pounds and not trying to drop to 170, drop into 185. And that's going to make what California has done with their weight cutting process it makes it work, and it makes it healthy for the fighters, and it makes it the way it's supposed to be. The other part is, look at how many fights did we have this week that were, I I even would say it, that's the super welterweight division because it's there under the unified rules. Now, some people might call it a contracted weight. That's fine, but there's a division there. At 160, we had mm-hmm. fights at 165. You know, Connor Dixon beat Castriot Gemma at 165 pounds. That's the super lightweight division. Mm-hmm. That is in the unified rules, and we need to start just using yeah. these weight classes. If you don't want to put a champion there, great. Don't put a champion there. But the weight class is there, so why not use it? So here's my here's my take. Okay? You brought up uh, Austin, okay? and I-, I thought Austin had a great performance. But from 170 to 185, when you get into the upper echelon of talent, he's going to have a hard time being successful. Just my personal opinion, because he's dealing with guys that are going to be cutting from 205, 200, something along those lines. Now, where it is where it did benefit someone was, I think, in the in the weight class where uh, Alejandro Lara, she went up. 10 pounds. She went from 125 to 135 and she physically looked like she had more energy. She looked a lot better. She looked physically stronger. Everything about her. But I asked her that after the fight. How did you feel? I felt great. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And you look and you go, learn from it. I agree, but we don't in Bellator. They don't have a 135 pound champion, not yet. I know that. So, but I agree with the Lara uh, assumption. Uh, But then when you get into Austin Vanderford, if it was only if it was 175, I would say. I, I would be like, hey, this is perfect. That's probably a perfect weight class for him is 175. Because, yeah. you know, maybe even like that. But 75 to 85, I think it's per 85, I think when he gets to the upper echelon of guys, okay, if he starts trying to fight Gegard Musasi and those guys, ooh, he's going to have a real hard time. And Gegard's not even a big, he's not a big guy. He's tall. But at 85, he's already talking about cutting to 170. You know what I mean? So I'm just simply saying that. Austin, if there was a 75-pound weight class, I think it would fit him perfectly, that extra five pounds. Everyone knows the last two to five pounds is always the hardest to cut, and I think I think it would change the dynamic of the sport, and there'd be no reason for it because guys like – and I give you the list of all these guys. you got Pettis. you got Nate Diaz. you got uh, George Mazadal. You've got, um, you've got uh, the other really good kickboxer from Black House. Um, he used to be the former lightweight champ. Gosh, what's his name? The world champ uh, – Dos Anjos. Oh. Dos Anjos. Yeah, Dos Anjos. And so all these guys. RDA? Yeah, RDA. All those guys. Not Black House. He was from King's, King's MMA. King's MMA. Come Sorry, on. my bad. Come on, my baby. bad. My bad. King's <laughs> MMA. But all those guys would love for me to be a 165-pound. Uh, Khabib, I'm sure, would love 165 over 155. Sure. You know what I mean? So uh, Connor could potentially would love to do that too, 55, 65, because he's, kind of he's kind of a broad-shouldered kind of guy. I think that weight class, you would have an – an umpteen amount of great fights to have at 55, 65, and 75. I, I don't I don't know why they don't do it. Also, too, if you're talking about fighter safety, it makes sense. But do you think it's right 
for the commission to sit there and tell a fighter, hey, you gain too much weight, you cannot, you cannot fight, you cannot get your purse, you put on so much weight, we're not going to let you fight. And do you think that's right as the promoter? Because the promoter is losing that fight. That promoter has put in a lot of money, bringing the fighter out, hotel rooms, flights, all that stuff, meals. You think it's right? No, absolutely not. I think it absolutely is not right. Now, where I think it is right is they should turn to the fighter and they should say, I know fighters need to be protected for themselves, but yep. they need to turn to the, his opponent and say, hey, we're going to take, this should be, there should be a set amount. Like we're going to take 10% of every pound you're over, which is another uh, deterrent for them to keep their weight down. That's one. Two is the other fighter needs to say, hey, would, are you still willing to fight this fighter? And if that other fighter is still willing to fight them within like, say, five, six, seven pounds, I think it should be allowed. It's no different than a guy who's 205 fighting a guy who's in the 265-pound weight class and has to fight those guys that are way bigger. There's no different. I, I Well, and my whole opinion is close to what yours is. I believe that the commission should have a set every pound mm -hmm. you're losing this percentage of money. Because look at it. If there's one thing that's going to stop a fighter from gaining that much weight, it's the loss of money. Yep. Because you know, what, what are you going to do this for? You're doing it for money. And if that money is going to your opponent, you're not going to do that thing of gaining so much weight. So that's going to take care of a big part of the problem. And the second is, yeah, that guy went and gained so much weight, but his opponent, who didn't, he's not going to get paid either. And look at he's got to pay the bills. He's put in a training camp. He's got all these things riding on this fight, and you're just going to pull the fight. That makes it very rough. Here's the thing, though. I will say, I'm going to put the I'm going to put this in the in the promotions uh, wheelhouse. I think as a promoter, you should be feel you should be obligated to pay the fighter who actually made weight. Yeah, it would be nice. at least their show money. At least their show money. They should be obligated to pay just the fighter who made the weight. Yeah, absolutely. Should it would be nice? I think it's the right <laughs> thing. We'll see if it, you know yeah. that happens because there, there are there's many times that. They are paid, you know, you know, and, and it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I know I've I've talked to promoters. They go, "That's a rough, that's a rough check to write," because mm -hmm. I didn't get my fight, and it is. And, mm -hmm. and if you're the promoter, you're the guy kind of getting you're, you're the one getting stuck, you know, with the whole thing. But you got to go with what's right because that man did everything that he was supposed to do, or that woman did everything she was supposed mm -hmm. to do to get to that fight, and it was taken away from yeah. him. No, I agree. I agree with you 100. I just feel like you should honor, you should, you shouldn't punish the guy who actually did everything right. You should actually take into consideration the person who didn't make weight. The, even though there's some favoritism based on if the person moves the needle or not, I understand that. But you also have to understand that you can't keep showing those people the loyalty if they're not going to come in there and do their job. Look, when I decided to sign on that contract, it was to be a professional athlete. And when I sign that contract, it means that I signed to basically do all the promo stuff, to make my weight, to show up and fight, and fight my ass off and try to win. There was never, a, there's nothing in that contract that says like roll over, give your back, and get choked out because you're tired. There's nothing. There's nothing in there that says that. There's nothing in there that says like, oh, if I didn't make the weight, if I if I was struggling in the sauna, go ahead and leave, and I'll just lose, you know, ten percent of my purse, or or I'm just gonna go ahead and concede the five pounds and just hopefully I make it. No, there's nothing in there that says that. You have to remember that your job is to make the weight. You want to be considered a professional athlete. Act like a professional. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you 100% on that. The, the, the other part of the whole th equation when you look at this thing is I do agree 
that the California State Athletic Commission should be able to tell that person, you've got to go up and wait. And the big part is every athletic commission from that point has got to uphold what California has put forward in they can't then go to another state and go to that same weight class where they were so far over in coming out for the fight. John, this is where we disagree. The reason why we disagree is this, is now you're putting that fighter in, in harm's way. Potentially what happens if he goes out there and just gets obliterated by someone who's 185 pounds, who actually is weighing probably 200 pounds by the time they fight, and he's barely 185 pounds. Now you've put that guy in harm's way. I thought we we're supposed to be looking out for the fighters. I thought we we're supposed to be looking out no, for their safety. Well, see, what you're taking you're taking one side of the story because the truth is, if you are that big, if you're Boricina, okay, Paulo Costa mm -hmm. comes in at 185 pounds. The, the second time that I refereed him, he was 228 pounds the night of the fight. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's not small. Okay, he's way over what that weight class is. In fact, he's over two weight classes above it. And he's not going to be small if I moved into 205 because he's still 228. And he's way above the 205 weight class. Mm -hmm. So you can sit there and say that, but it's just not true. And if you are that tweener guy, you're that guy that you're saying, you know what? You're an Austin Vanderford. You don't think he can be 185 for long against the best. Then you need to start getting a nutritionist and start taking care of your weight issue to bring you down in a healthy fashion. But what I'm saying is the commission now is forcing him to fight at the other weight class above. and then No, as long as you have a doctor come in and say, I can verify that this is a hydrated athlete who weighs in at this, and I will verify that he can be in that weight class. They'll allow it to go. Well, you didn't tell me that. You can't give me half the story. I don't, I don't can't have, give I don't me half the story. Tell you everything. You got to. You're supposed to know. You got to tell me that. You got to tell me this. <laughs> this is your wheelhouse. This is why I deflect to you every single time. You asked me the question. I said, "Why are you asking me? Why this? are you asking? Because it's interesting to me. <laughs> no. This is important stuff because it is the health and safety of the fighter, and it's been such a problem. But it is actually, in my opinion. I think things are starting to get a little bit better. I, I, I would agree with you, but my concern is, like I said, is and you're saying if a doctor comes in and says he can be hydrated and still make the weight, then they'd be okay with it. But if you're, if California says, hey, you're gonna have, now you're gonna have to fight at say 185 and you were, you know, you were over the limit at 170, now you have to go to 185. That's and the other states honor that as well. Now it doesn't matter where he fights; he's gonna end up fighting a guy who's extreme, uh, potentially a lot bigger than him. You know, and then that to me means that if we're looking out for fighter safety, that means that that's not safe either. So we're kind of in that. It's a slippery slope. It's like, do I let him cut the weight, and he looks like he is already kind of performing pretty well at the one seventy, or do I have him go up and just get annihilated by someone and potentially get hurt and ruin his career? Like a bad one, bad knockout from somebody because the commission decided to intervene and push him up to another one could ruin someone's career. They can never be the same yeah, fighter. Yeah, but that again. guy's already at that weight. Yeah, but he's he, he's already there. But, so you've got a guy that's a 155 pound fighter mm -hmm. when he weighs in, mm -hmm. and then he is a 190 pound fighter the night of the fight, and you're going to tell me that he's too small to be a 170 pound fighter. You, but that doesn't that doesn't apply to all the fighters though. It's going to apply to the guys well, that make that 15. percent So okay, so let me say, so Michael Chandler did a, a post one time. I can't I don't remember who he fought. He fought someone in uh, obviously in Bellator. Uh, I want to say it was Patricky. He weighed in. Maybe it was Yamauchi. Uh, he weighed in at 155. That night, before he went to bed, he posted a picture at 185. Okay. So what we were saying that we need to move him to 170. 
That's if what you're he's saying? weighing in at 185. Yeah. The night of the fight. Yeah. Is he not only in the welterweight division? He's pa- he surpassed that and has gone all the way to middleweight. Yeah. So you're okay. saying he needs to fight at 170 then? Yeah, absolutely. So then he goes. Now you know as well as I know, Michael Chandler is not a tall, big guy. Yeah, so, that's right. So, I, I, but he packs on a lot of muscle. He does pack on a lot of muscle. He does. Okay, so you've got a choice here. You want to fight in the 155s? I want you to alter what you're doing as far as you're working out. How many guys do you know that do not touch weights as fighters? I, I was one of them. Yes. Okay. Why? I just, I didn't I didn't felt like I didn't perform that way. I didn't, okay, I didn't perform and a lot of them well. will not do it because it they start to bulk up and gain weight and they go, I can't make weight because of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're going to have to alter what you do. You're going to have to alter your nutritional program. You're going to have to alter your workout schedule and the way you do things to make it to where if that's the weight class you want to fight in, you're not going to be this guy getting to that ridiculous amount of weight after that cut. Interesting. I'm I'm very interested in this because I feel like we're potentially putting fighters in harm's way to potentially get knocked out and ruin their career. Like I no. said, one 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 or I think two. I think you're putting guys more in harm's way, allowing them to cut that massive amount of weight for if you're a guy look, you're you're not you're not getting to one eighty five unless you were at one eighty five. You know that. Yeah. If you were a if you were uh hundred and seventy pounds and dropped to one fifty five and then rehydrated, you're not going to 185. Yeah. Okay. You're going to go back up towards that 170, maybe 172, somewhere in there. So if you're that 185 and you're dropping down to 155, losing 30 pounds of weight for that weigh in and then putting it all back on, mm-hmm. you know exactly where you're at. Okay. <laughs> you are outside of your weight class. You are doing something that is absolutely detrimental to your health, not only in the fight. But it's detrimental to your health for the remainder of your life. And a lot of guys cannot look past the next day. But hopefully you're going to have this future where your life goes on even beyond fighting. But sometimes you do things as a young man or a young woman that can detrimentally affect you for the rest of your life. You know what else is detrimental to your health? Getting knocked out. That's also detrimental to your health. <laughs> you're that's, right, but that's part of fighting. That's, that's, that, can be, that can be detrimental <laughs> to your health, too. So I, hey, I guess that's true. I guess in this token we can agree to disagree that's on, on just right. that part. On just that part of it, I agree that's with right. I agree with what the commission's doing as far as like you can't exceed the next weight limit. I just wish they would do it every ten pounds. We'd have an extra champion in the mix. Also, then it would make fighters I think fight more within their realm because then they don't have to worry about jumping fifteen pounds to the next weight class and fighting guys that cut all that weight. I mean that's just my personal opinion. I mean, and but that all starts at one. That all starts at one at one fifty five, then it goes to one seventy. So you'd have sixty five, seventy five, eighty five, and you just move on. You know. How many times have you seen? Let, let's take a look at Dustin Poirier. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you, you worked Dustin. out with Dustin Poirier. Yep. How big is Dustin Poirier? At one forty five, he was one hundred eighty pounds when I tra- okay. one hundred eighty eight pounds when I trained with him. At, with Frank and Yeager. how well did he do there? I thought he did great. He just had a hard. He time. was average. Yeah, he was average. Yeah. He would he would win some and he would lose mm-hmm. some. And why was he losing? Because he was cutting too much damn weight. Now where's he at? One fifty five. Is he too small? Nope. And where's he at? I can I can play devil's advocate to this. But then again, I can say, but what's healthy is not fighting Khabib coming up next. Yeah. Okay, but, so that's not healthy either. But I can also, but I can also <laughs> very true. But what I can also <laughs> say though is Khabib cuts from sometimes one ninety. 
And so by the time he fights, by the time he fights uh, Dustin Poirier, then out of the fight, he'll probably be about 182, 183, somewhere in there. Maybe from 79 to 83, somewhere in there. So that's my point. And we've obviously seen with Khabib, he looks phenomenal, he hydrates phenomenally. I want you to think about this. So if Mm -hmm. you're Dustin Poirier, you're going to beat Khabib by out-strengthening him, by out-powering him. That's the way to beat him. What? Obviously not. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So how are you going to beat Khabib? Speed. Well, if someone had Speed the if someone had the answer to that, they would have needed. already done it. If someone, well, exactly. if someone had the answer that's, to that, that's the whole point. But if you're Dustin Poirier, you're not going to go in that fight. I think I'm going to outpower him. No, I am going to put shots on him and move and try to keep away from him at a distance. That speed. That's the type of fight that he can try to bring in to beat a guy that's going to be that bigger, stronger guy in Khabib. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen though. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love Dustin. I just I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. Well, I, I'm not saying it's gonna happen either. But the whole point is, Dustin Poirier at 145, a guy that was losing all that weight, had he's, it's a good career. But he was losing fights, and then he was winning fights, then losing fights, and then he's had this string of victories and phenomenal performances, and beat the guy that was the featherweight champion at 155, and I do not think he would have beat him if he was at 145. If they both fought at 145, I think it would have been a different story. And so that's proving, you know what, it's not always bad that you have to go up. I agree with you, it's not always, it's not always bad, but everybody, every fighter and everybody's body is different. Khabib, sure. cut, Khabib cuts a massive amount of weight, still performs to the highest level, and Probably, I, to me, I considered he's one of the best right now in the game. Hands down, one Khabib, of the best. But Khabib has ended up in the hospital mm-hmm. based upon his weight cuts. He has missed fights mm-hmm. because of his weight cut. So that's healthy? But he's still good. Come on. But he's I don't, still good. Dude, <laughs> not, dude, dude, good is not even yeah, in the equation. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's phenomenal. But that weight cut is unhealthy. Yeah, but I feel also, too, if there was a 165 that he would jump into that 65, I, I think it would be, a, with be you. a lot better. But uh, somehow, I don't know why, but for some reason, they're not allowing me to run the UFC and to make them use that weight class, That's so crazy. I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, la- the, the last controversial thing we're going to talk about, because I want to make sure there's controversy that ends this, so then it takes the blame, right. takes the blame off of you and I to talk about okay. all this. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> was um, Kenny Florian's conversation about the guys to beat Khabib. Oh, I saw that. Was right. I did see that. Look, yeah. he said... I love Kenny. He said GSP, and he said somebody else. Ryan Hall Ryan and Justin Gaethje. And Justin Gaethje. Yeah. Now, I've said a couple times... I've already said one thing. I've said GSP could potentially be the one to beat him. That's one. I, yep. I could agree with that. I agree that. with that. Could potentially. I didn't say he would. If I was going to pick one guy, that would be the guy. GSP. Now, yeah. R- Justin Gaethje, I said, poses threats in terms of leg kicks and the ability to stop takedowns. He poses a threat, but I don't think he beats him. Just my, not, not even close. No, I, just, I said, I'm sorry. I love, I love Justin yep. Gaethje. You can look at Justin Gaethje against Michael Johnson. Mm-hmm. Michael Johnson has fought both of those guys. Yep. Michael Johnson actually hit Khabib and hurt Khabib. Yep. And then Khabib just walked through him. Yep. Where Justin had his moments where he got hurt by Ju- yep. by Michael, got hurt badly. He came out the winner. It was a great fight. Yep. But you just look at the way that they both handled that same fighter. And I think that, you know, Justin's a good wrestler. He's got great leg kicks. He is a he is a gamer. Mm-hmm. 
he just is going to get taken off of his feet. And if he's taken off of his feet, he's in an element where he's not the one in control of the pace of that fight. And that was that was my my whole take on Justin Gaethje was that he was a guy that could pose a threat, but that was as far as it was going to go. He he is a guy that I felt like could do things to Khabib that some other guys couldn't do, but I still thought he wouldn't get it done. That was that was no. my take on the whole scenario and situation. I don't see it. You know, um, the the Ryan Hall one. I'm sorry. I I'm going with you know Kenny. I love you. I know you train with Ryan Hall. I know you love the guy. He's a phenomenal submission guy. He would get crushed yeah. by Khabib. It, you know, and that's not taking anything away from Ryan. They're, no. First off, they're in different weight classes. Yeah. Ryan Hall is a featherweight. Okay, Khabib is a huge lightweight. No, he's he's and, he's a two hundred five pounder. Khabib is. No, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know, I you know, I understand why Kenny is saying, well, he's got such good submission that there's a lot of guy with good submissions out there. Yep. And they're not going to submit Khabib. Nope. Okay, he's that good. He understands the leg lock game very well. Coming from the Sambo okay. background, I mean, per majority exactly. of what those guys do is leg locks. Yeah, you know, and, and it's just what you know to to think that Ryan would be able to do something that nobody has been able to do is a nice thought. Mm -hmm. It's just I don't believe that that's going to happen. I believe that Ryan off, off of his back. Khabib would do the same thing. He would eventually be lacing those legs. He would be crushing down on him, and Ryan would be stuck in a position where he's just taking yeah. big shots and couldn't stop it. Yeah, without a doubt. With I, I didn't even when I heard that when I first read that name, I was like, <laughs> I and first thing that went through my mind was one forty-five, which means yeah. you're way way smaller. I, I've yeah. I, and I've grappled and rolled with Ryan Hall, and I, but obviously this was years ago, but he was still very good at the time that I had rolled with him and and I would just say that I've trained with Khabib and it's it's night and day night and night well, and day let, let's look at it this way I did a fight okay that was Ryan Hall was part of and the other guy was a guy named Saul Rogers who you mm -hmm, know yes who is in the Bellator featherweight Grand Prix and now Saul Rogers is a good wrestler mm -hmm. He's a solid wrestler, super strong guy, 145-pound weight class, and not close to what Khabib does when it comes to getting his hands on someone and what he's capable of doing in those same situations. And Saul Rogers took Ryan Hall down and beat on him for three rounds. Mm -hmm. In each round, taking him down. And if Saul Rogers can do that, I know Khabib can do that. There's no doubt about it. I have no doubts no. about that. No doubts about it. So now, I guess moving on to the next thing because we've we've uh, we've talked about that long enough. The the, the, <laughs> the madness, the madness of what the, we heard. The madness of I will the flow man. I would agree with though the GSP part, which I'm glad we both agree on that because I didn't want yeah, to. I agree. I didn't want to have to like you know throw. But I, I I'm telling you this. I do say if they fought at 170 pounds, I think GSP beats them. At 155, I'm not too sure yeah, GSP beats him. I would have to agree That's with you. That's a lot of weight. What about it? A, a lot of weight for him. What about at a catch weight at 165? You know what? That would be closer, and I, I could still see GSP being able to beat him. Mm. It could be, you know, it's it, that's a toss-up fight. Yep. But if it's at 55, I definitely am going to say Khabib is the guy that I would be betting on. And at 70, I would bet on GSP. Yeah, I, I think I think at 65, I would probably go with Khabib. I think at 70, I would. I would still probably go with Khabib, but <laughs> it's all right. But I, I had you thinking though, right, for a second. But yeah, I'm a huge GSP fan. I'm probably, like, I'm I'm a GSP nut hugger, man. I've one guy I've always respected in the sport, and I've hung out with him a couple times after he won his world title. Just one of the most humblest guys, and just great to be around. Great personality. 
Like yep. Just any, everything about it. I can't say enough about the guy. I absolutely love His the guy. sweetheart of a guy. Yeah, love the guy. Um, <clears throat> but since we talked about Khabib, let's go ahead and talk about the one last thing we'll talk about is the 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 comments in the interview of Ariel Hawani and Conor McGregor. Oh, you know what? I, I watched it. And first off, I, there's a couple of things in here. First off, I did not like what Conor did. Yeah. It, it's troubling to me. It's troubling because uh, you know, I don't care who you are, mm-hmm. all right? I don't care how famous you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how many people know who you are. There's certain things you just don't do. And one, especially as a fighter and especially as a martial artist, you don't put your hands on somebody that's not putting their hands on you. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Okay, walk away. If you don't like something, walk away. It's very simple. You do not have the right to put your hands on anybody. In fact, you above everybody else should be the guy knowing that's not the way we act. All right. Now, I do love the fact that he came out in that interview and he, you know, he took responsibility. He says, I was wrong. You know, he said, because I think Ariel asked him the question of, you know, what was it that made him look at? I was wrong. I made I, I made a bad choice, a bad decision. I, I'm sorry. I apologize for what I did. And look, I, I look at it as we're all human and we all make mistakes. And I'm always willing to give someone a second chance. As long as what you did did not permanently hurt somebody. I mean, there, I, there's no doubt that the man had some type of pain based upon whether he got slapped or hit or whatever it was. And it's wrong, but I'm all about giving someone a second chance. My whole thing for Connor is, you know, take this and learn from it, brother. You know, figure out that because you have this celebrity, you live in a fishbowl and everybody's watching you. Everything you do is being filmed. And so you have got to realize, hey, this is a pain in the ass. It's no fun. You know, I hear I hear comments wherever I go. That that comes with that celebrity. You wanted to be that guy. You got that, and so you've got to live with that. So do the right things to separate yourself in situations where things can go wrong. Learn from this. Get back to fighting. Get back to doing what you do best, and just move on from it and stop the insanity. When you said. As a true martial artist, you just don't put your hands on someone. I said that's and you just there's no reason for it unless they put their hands on you. Spoken like a former LA police officer. <laughs> right there. <laughs> to me, that was exactly like there's no reason to do it. It's it's I just was thinking police officer right from the moment you said that. The second Well, you know, I'm telling you right now, look it. I, I am definitely not the poster child for not putting my hands on people. I, I did it a lot, especially yeah. when I was young. But I had to pay some money out. Now, I've never had to pay out what yeah. Connor did. But you learn, hey, you know what? I may win the fight, but in the end, this is going to hurt me a lot more, I think, than it hurt him because I don't have a lot of money to put out. And and Connor won't have that for a long time if he keeps doing these yeah. things. He's got to learn to just look at the person. You can give him the look, but you got to walk away from him. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And then you said you're all for giving people second chances, and so am I. I just have, I, I have a hard time with three and four and five chances, which we've already given him. So that's one. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, look, I I, I ride in kind of a little bit with the GSP. I, I kind of I, I like Connor so much <clears throat> that 
it's very much like I, I, I like him as if like almost I feel like I know like he's a good guy. He seems like he seems like he's a he good is guy. He's a good guy. He just has these type of things that I think somebody who like he he's if you watch like some of his past story, he was struggling to get by. Like they were basically basically barely living off any food, and now he has all this money. He has he has everything he could ever want. He has more than everything he could ever want. But one thing that I heard from the interview. Um, that really stuck with me was because I, I feel like I was in that same kind of boat a little bit, not money wise or anything like that on that level. But you get to the level where people start knowing you, and people start recognizing you, people kind of start nat- like jabbing at you on social media and and jabbing at you in person with him. The issue is what I liked what he said was that <clears throat> is that he just wanted to make sure that he basically didn't want to end up like Mike Tyson. He didn't want to end up the guy who had everything and fucking blew it all away. And like yeah. that that to me I think is every every athlete's like nightmare. That's like goes like honestly even to this day I know I didn't make a killing of money. But I uh, but it's like but I You've been you've been very smart. I, I look at you. Okay? As an athlete you've done it all right, man. You were smart with your money, you've invested, you've done the right things because you realized it's not going to be there forever. It's not, and that's what Connor has to really understand. This is not going to be here forever, and he's got to be careful. Yeah, I mean, and then especially when you're slapping, you're breaking people's phones, and you're hitting older people in the bars. I mean, all those things going around and going along with it. Like, do I think maybe he needs to get back to fighting? If that's what gets him focused, yes. Or do something that gets you back into being focused either with your family or do something that gets you focused on business because it seems like you – you, for a while, you were focused on your whiskey. Now that that's kind of like exceeded the limit, the expectations probably running itself. Now you have you need something else to do. Okay, maybe going back to fighting will be good for you. You came back for one fight, blew away the the pay per view records, you know, and then you're sitting on some more cash. You're doing it again. I think that the what, like I said, the thing that resonated the most with me was when he said he didn't want to be that guy that blew it all and didn't want to be looked back and be like man you had everything at your fingertips he didn't want to be the basically like a mike tyson and yeah, well, you, that made me if you, that made me respect it and believe that oh, there's yeah. going to be some you changes know, you, you got to think about this you know and when he came into the ufc the guys he fought you know he fought he fought a brimage was his first fight in the ufc and then it, he fought you know holloway and he beat holloway but he still didn't get that respect and he was out for a while after that because he tore his acl in that fight it was the fight that he had at the arena that you're going to be at in September, the the three arena in Dublin. It's a it's a cool place, and that's where they held the fight that he had against Diego Brandao. And in that fight, he won over a country. Mm-hmm. That's not easy to do. And from that point, all the fights that he had, he kept just gathering this country behind him. But he's losing that country fast. Yep. And he's never going to come back if he doesn't fix what he's doing. I've said this a bunch of times. Americans, we, ha- we have an uphill battle when it comes to having our country support us. It doesn't matter. For some reason, Americans, are they'll support whoever. Like, does, you don't have to be American for you to be supported. But I feel like guys like Bisbing... They go out there, their brass personalities and the way that they fight and their the way that they talk and the way that they get the crowd going, they they have countries that back them. And the same thing with with Connor, you know, and GSP, even though he was never brash or any of that stuff, but he had he had Canada that followed like they loved everything he did and what he represented. When you think of someone that represents your country, the Canadians, I think, 
GSP, they, that's really what they would like their country to be represented by. And so, <laughs> exactly. but when I say that is that <clears throat> these guys, they were able to latch onto their country, their country support them. And I couldn't agree with you more on the fact that he really is losing his country. And the, and he is. the fact that I think they saw this video come out where he hit an older person. I think that's just like, I think in all countries, that's just a no-no. That's a huge oh, no-no. You know? I mean, huge. So bad. Just so wrong. And it's like, God dang, man, what are you yeah. thinking? He's just, he's got to get back to his roots yep. and his roots of his guys in the gym with John Kavanaugh, mm -hmm. getting ready for a fight. That's your focus. And that way you're not standing in the pubs and this can't happen. Well, first off, you probably shouldn't be in the pubs. And I know you I know you own a whiskey and you're promoting a whiskey, <laughs> but you can you can also have security and everything there where you're not interacting really so much one on one with people as much as you should just be like, Hey, here's all my whiskeys. Like, let's line them up. I'll get them out to you guys, shake hands, kiss babies, and you're on your way. Yep. Exactly. So. All right, my man. Well, I think that's our show for the week. That was good, man. I get to see you up. It's not going to be like uh, the long time before I see you again nope. up in San Jose. So no, I'll see you next week, next Monday. Are you? What day do you get in? Tuesday. I think Wednesday. I get in Tuesday. Okay. Okay. You travel from East Coast. Tuesday to, night. Yeah. Tuesday night. Yeah. Well, Tuesday night. Let's touch. We're going to touch base. We'll film Monday, and then we'll probably drop a couple of extra shows for everyone listening and tuning let's in. Let's do it. We'll, we're going to we'll do, do it there. All right, guys. So hey, make sure you guys follow us on Instagram, uh, YouTube, Snapchat, Spotify. Uh, no, sorry, no Snapchat. We we got rid of Snapchat. Forget about the Snapchat. Yeah. We don't even like that. Yeah, we don't even like. We don't. Really, no, no one's chap snatting around here. So exactly. Uh, Twitter. Do we have Twitter now? Uh, we got Twitter. And okay. Instagram. All right. So make sure you follow us. It's uh, at Wayne In or at Wayne In Show on IG. Wayne Show. Wayne In Show. I just took Big John's uh, introduction for the Wayne In Show. That's good, dude. Take it, man. You got that. And run with it. Follow me at at the Real Punk. John, let me sit, let's hear your uh, social. Ah, Twitter or Instagram. Follow me at John McCarthy MMA. Ask your questions. You got something for me and Josh? Ask away. We will get always look and take the best question yep. and put it on the show if we can. Yes, we will. All right. So maybe next week. Do you want to do? Uh, we'll talk. We'll do maybe like a quick little thing for the San Jose show. Uh, but then Absolutely. should we do a fighter? Should we do a fan question that week? Yeah, let's do that. We need to. All right, guys. So get, you heard it here. Big John said he wants fan questions, so you got you got to lay out the fan questions for us, and we'll have uh, producer Dave, podcast Dave, we'll have him lay it all out, and we will uh, get your questions answered. All right, we're out. See you later, brother. See you later, my man. See you next Monday. All right, bye. bye. bye.